I, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself in a place in life where you did not want to be? Uh, for example, have you ever applied for a job or ever not got a promotion that you felt like you deserved? Anybody, can anybody relate to that? Have you ever found yourself in the hospital laid up indefinitely and you wonder uh, why, why God's allowing this to happen? Or have you ever uh, tried to get onto a basketball team and you were hoping to be a varsity star and you became a JV player that was sitting on the bench? Have you ever found yourself in a situation like that? You know, we've all faced tough times in our life. And we, we all can wonder and speculate as to what in the world is God doing and why is he allowing things to happen, especially at the timing that he is. And I'm here to tell you, I have no idea why. Maybe, you know, you didn't become that basketball star because God says, you know what, I want you to sit on the bench and I want you to learn uh, to have a good attitude even when things don't work out the way you want to. You didn't get that promotion because really I have a different job in line for you completely altogether. And if you have that job, then you cannot go where I want to take you to go. If you find yourself in a hospital, maybe God says, you're there because this is actually how I'm saving your life. Because if you were out there driving your car, your life would end during that time, and it's just not time for you to come home yet. You don't know. Uh, we, we could speculate uh, all, all sorts of hours as to why this is happening, and I do not know why. But one thing that I do know, and one thing that I want to remind you of, or I want you to remember, is that whatever happens, God has a purpose in, in what, what he's doing. And that purpose is an opportunity, that is an opportunity to share or to advance the gospel. Your situation, wherever you find yourself, at whatever point of the day, whatever point of uh, your, your lifespan, is your opportunity to advance the gospel. And we're going to be looking at that as we look at the life of Paul, who found himself in prison in Rome, who's going to take that opportunity. Again, I want to pray and ask God's blessing. God, again, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for what you taught me through this. God, that you have put us in places to share the gospel. Uh, whether we, it's a, someplace we want to be or someplace we don't want to be, God, we know that you are in control and that you have a purpose for us. I pray that we would look for those opportunities and take full advantage of it. Again, I ask that you speak through me in a powerful way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, we find that Paul is in prison, and he's going to take full advantage of that by advancing the gospel. This is, he says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. So Paul's situation. Paul is a prisoner in Rome, and in a nutshell... Paul is put in prison because he was falsely accused. You have the, the temple in Jerusalem, and there was a place where uh, the Gentiles were allowed to go, but there were these inner parts where the Gentiles were not allowed to go. And he's falsely accused of taking a Gentile into that area. And so then now he, you fast forward, he's in prison four years later in Rome. And, and it, but there's a lot more to the story. If you want to read the story, I'd encourage you to read chapter, Acts chapter 1. Through 28, I'm just going to give you kind of the highlights of the of what Paul had to go through on his way to prison. Uh, you find that in Acts chapter one, Paul was beaten by a mob because he was someone had falsely accused them. They all want to punish him uh, Im immediately for what he's doing, so they're beating him, trying to kill him. So that's the first thing that he's had to deal with. The second thing is the Romans. They came to the rescue. They are here to try to to stop the disturbance of the peace. 
but then they want to uh, punish Paul for that. And they want to put, uh, beat him until they find out that he is a Roman citizen. And then while he's in prison, he finds out that there are 40 men who have decided not to eat or drink until Paul is dead. And so he has this threat on his life. Uh, thankfully, it's thwarted by his nephew who finds out and, and uh, lets the uh, correct authorities know that this, this attack is planned for on Paul's life. You find that Paul gets sent to Caesarea to talk to the governor there named Felix. And while he's there, he's there for two years waiting for our verdict of freedom, of justice, of, of being able to be released. And that whole time he's meeting with Felix who's waiting for a bride. And so he's, he's not getting a fair shake at this. And in which case, and he never does get this bribe. So he's stuck in, in prison for two years. And then a new governor takes over. And Paul finally says, I've had enough of waiting for my justice. I'm going to appeal to Caesar, which ultimately gets him to Rome, where he is waiting on his way to Rome. You know the famous story about Paul getting shipwrecked. That's something else he had to go to. And then uh, they get stranded on the island of Malta. And what happens there? He gets bit by a snake. Now you add all that up together, you see... Uh, you see Paul's life of, uh, what would you want to do if you were in his shoes? People hate you. They're falsely accusing you. They want to beat you. Uh, you're, you're not getting a fair shake with, uh, with the trials to try to get your freedom. You get bit by a snake. You get shipwrecked. Anybody here says, if you're Paul, I've had enough. I, I've, I've done my time. I really don't feel like I should have to do anymore. Uh, I'm ready to throw in the towel. I feel like me, I'm ready to cry the blues, right? I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm ready to say I've had enough. I'm ready to turn my attention from trying to do what God wants me to do to now I'm just going to think about myself and how do I get back home. You know, but ultimately, Paul, he has a mission in mind. He'd like to get to Spain. He's going west. He wants to get farther and farther west where the gospel has never been preached before. But he's getting sidetracked. He's getting stopped. And he says, okay, what am I going to do now? He decides to do what he's always done. Uh, verse 12, it says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He says, I'm here. I might as well preach the gospel here. Uh, in the NIV, it uses the word advance instead of the word furtherance. And it's a word that's used for the progress of an army or an expedition. If you have a big army that wants to go marching through the forest or through the brush, somebody's got to go and prepare the way. They've got to cut down the trees. They've got to cut down all the brush in order for the army to get through. And he says, that's what my prison is. It, was, it made a way possible that I was not probably going to have before. Because Paul, he talks to a lot of people that probably wouldn't give him the time of day. He, uh, you find out in Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 and 22, as he's writing to the Philippian churches, he says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. So of the people that Paul has talked to, Caesar's household has come to know the Lord. Probably was not going to happen unless Paul was in chains trying to advance the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul did. He was an imperial prisoner, which means he had, the, he had guard, imperial guards. And I want you to do a little math with me. You're, you'll probably go a lot farther than I will, but the, the guards switched every four hours. And Paul had to be chained to a guard, like literally chained to, chained to a guard 24-7. So if you have four guards a day times seven days a week, how many, how many potential guards is that? Four times seven. Guards, right? There's 9,000 guards that he 
uh, potentially are coming in contact with him. No, it's really right. If you have four guards a day, seven guards or seven days a week, that's 28 guards. How many guards does that make a week? How many guards does that make a month? Give it two years that Paul is there. He has a potential to reach, a, and it asked a huge number, over like 1,000, 1,200 guards uh, during his two-week time. And so while he's there talking to a new guard each time, what do you think he's doing? Anybody here think he's talking about the weather? Anybody here think he's talking about the local chariot races? No. What is he doing? He's saying, this is the gospel. He's making sure he's got six hours with this guy. He's going to make sure he at least understands the gospel. And so Paul is telling him, and it says, as a result, it has become known throughout the whole palace guard. You know, the best example I can think about that uh, before I get back to Paul is, uh, my, I have an aunt that's a nurse in Spokane. And there was one day where we were visiting somebody who was in the hospital. And uh, it had become known throughout the whole nurse's station that that was not a good patient. And, it, you know, because that's, that person made, most patients at a hospital, you're not really going to notice. They're just there or they're not there. You say, Mrs. Jones has a broken ankle and I'm sorry about that, but she's fine. But somebody who stands out is going to spread like wildfire. And that's kind of what's happening with Paul. I think, you know, like the first couple guards that went and guarded Paul, they're like, wow, who is this guy? You know, this guy's he's not mad, he's happy, he's got peace, he's got joy, he's sharing with us this message of salvation. And when they go back to the barracks, they say, you know what, if you get Paul duty, you better watch out, because this guy's going to hammer you with the gospel. He's not going to be exactly what you expect. And so it's become known throughout the whole palace guard that this guy isn't just the average ordinary prisoner who's done something wrong and deserves to be there. He's there because of his chains for Christ. Paul verbally shared the gospel with these people, I'm sure numerous times. But Paul also lived the gospel. You know, he, when he was there, he, didn't, he wasn't sulking. He wasn't pouting. He wasn't mad. He wasn't telling this guy for six months how unfair it was and all these problems that he had to go through. He had the joy. He, he just, his whole life, everything that flowed from him was all about the gospel. It was all about having that attitude of joy and of peace that's going to make him stand out from everybody so that the whole palace guard knows that this guy is somebody different. And it's become clear throughout everywhere else. It's become known throughout the church uh, in, Philipp, in uh, Rome. It's become known throughout the, the community because if, if people who know Paul say, you know what, look what Paul is going through. Uh, that's a, an incredible thing. I'm going to tell somebody because I can't just keep this to myself. Um, I, I struggle with hearing good news and keeping it to myself. And I'm, I struggled with it today. I told the deacon board a piece of good news that I, I'm not going to share with everybody because it's not mine to share, but I, I blabbed it because it was good. But think of that with these people. They're like, look at what Paul is doing. It's known everywhere, the testimony that Paul has. You know, you guys are in unique situations, every one of you. Some of you work with cows. Some of you work with oil. Some of you work with people. Some of you crunch numbers. Some of you are retired. Some of you are healthy. Some of you are not so healthy. Some of you are at home with little kids running around. Some of you are just making the most of your summer. Uh, you know, there's some of you who have been on vacation, like us. There's some of you, like Todd and Melissa, who are going to go on vacation. And you have Stephen and Anita who are on vacation right now. We are all in unique situations. Some of us like basketball. Some of us like hunting. Some of us like to cook, right? Some of us like to be alone. But we are, we are all unique. We're all different. 
but your specific situation that's unique to you is your opportunity to share Christ. You have the chance to verbally say it, like here's the gospel message, but you also have the chance to demonstrate it in your life, in both good situations and in bad situations. I'll start with a bad situation. You find yourself in the hospital, and you're sitting there with your leg, your broken toe up there, and you're just waiting for people to come visit you. The doctors are coming, and, and you find yourself just sitting there in the middle of the night, and you've got a roommate there, right? And they're just sitting there in the middle of the night. They can't sleep. The hospital food doesn't taste good. The bed is not comfortable. you got these things hooked up to you, so you're just sitting there waiting. Well, that is an opportunity in the still of the night to share the gospel with somebody. You know, the thing that's really unique about that is that had you not broke your foot, found yourself in the hospital, chances are you never would have talked to that person in that bed next to you. You might have driven next to each other down the road and not thought anything about the other person. You might have shared a restaurant and said, you know, there's just these people across the way that are eating, but you wouldn't have walked up to them and started sharing the gospel with them. But because you find yourself in the hospital with nothing else to do, here you have God, you can see this picture of God advancing the gospel. He's clearing the way, he's making the way open for you and this other person to have a conversation so that this other person can hear the gospel. That's taking a bad situation, but saying I'm going to make the most of it, and I'm only here because God has allowed me to be here, and God has a purpose in order for me uh, to be laid up at this time. If you're wrongly accused, anybody ever been wrongly accused by your boss or by a family member uh, or, or by the law, right? How's that going to make you feel? It's going to make me mad. I want justice. I want to make it right. And it, it will probably show up on my face. But if it shows up on my face and it shows up in my attitude, I'm not going to be doing a good job of advancing the gospel. If I have a gentle answer or a loving response to what somebody is doing to me, I have the, I'm going to be advancing the gospel. I'm going to be showing that there is something different. And the greater the situation of how bad it is, the better your testimony has the opportunity to be. Paul's in prison. He has justice. I mean, he has all sorts of reason to cry the blues, to say this isn't fair, to demand justice. And he just says, okay, I'm just going to live the gospel out. When I have a chance to verbally say it, I'm going to say it as well. So when life is down... It's a good opportunity to advance the gospel. But when life is good, because I know most of us, life is pretty good, it is your opportunity to advance the gospel. If you're just sitting around having lunch with a coworker, they want to buy you lunch, that's a pretty good experience, right? Uh, but that's your opportunity to advance the gospel. You can just open up your mouth and go for it and say, you know what, have you ever heard of what the gospel is? Uh, or what do you even think about this? And just say, I'm mean, just start with that kind of situation. Maybe they've never heard it. Maybe they don't understand the gospel, and it will open up doors for you. Um, Zach, um, I've been going to the men's Bible study on Wednesday the last two weeks, which is really a stretch for me. I've said I'm like the morning thing is not my thing. But Zach uh, was talking about, uh, he's a game warden, and he's been working with this guy, and they found themselves like out work, in the middle of nowhere, just the two of them. And so guess what they're doing? Guess what Zach is doing? He's doing the Paul thing. He's trying to advance the gospel. The guy didn't get saved, but he's known Zach for a long time. Zach has lived it out. Zach is trying to verbally say it. 
And so when life is good, when things are going the way that you want them to, it's an opportunity to advance the gospel. You can just say it. But when, you can also just live it sometimes too, like if you're going on vacation, no pressure. You see someone down, driving down the road with a flat tire, you know what, you can stop and help change their tire. You can stop and help uh, with whatever that they need. And, and that's just showing love. You know, you get in a conversation, hey, where are you going on your vacation? Well, where are you going on your vacation? I can't believe you stopped on vacation to help me. Thank you so much. You know, if you have a Christian bumper sticker or you have a Christian t-shirt on, that kind of thing's going to help you out a little bit to have that Christian testimony. But you have no idea uh, what opportunity you're going to have if you're willing to take it. The point is, whatever situation you are in, whatever opportunity you have, is that you take that opportunity to advance the gospel. You, you verbally say it, or you just naturally live it out as part of your life. It's just a matter of looking for when's the right time to say it and taking advantage of it. Number one, your situation is your opportunity to advance the gospel. Number two, your advancement of the gospel can help others to advance the gospel as well. Verses 14 through 18. Paul says, And most of the brethren in the Lord have been in confident, have become confident by my chains and much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and also some from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can add affliction to my chains. But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. So Paul is having this positive impact on the people who hear about him. Uh, they're going from being unsure about sharing the gospel to being confident. They're persuaded that they need to do the same, and they're persuaded to actually get out there and do it. They're going from being timid to being bold. They're being more daring in their efforts. I think they're probably trying to create opportunities. They're trying to take advantage of the opportunities that are just laid out plain before them. They're going from near, being nervous to being fearless, that now all of a sudden they are not afraid to try. Why? What's different is they see somebody else is doing this, and they see that, okay, Paul went through this. He, yes, it's going to be kind of costly, but he, he's living, or that he's, he's got this kind of attitude to get through this, and so they're willing to try. Verse 17 says they're doing it out of love. They have this love for Paul, uh, they have this love for Jesus, they have this love for the lost. Their words were right, and their motives were right. And Paul says that he was put here for the defense of the gospel. It's the same word for defense that you find in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Are you prepared if someone says, hey, Leslie, why do you believe in Jesus? Or, or what can you tell me about how do I get to heaven? Are you prepared to give an, an answer? Are you prepared to defend what, why you believe what you believe? It's a legal term. You know, if you find yourself in a court of law, you want an attorney who's going to defend you. You don't want some guy who's going to half-heartedly do this. Like, yeah, I just showed up really unprepared, and yeah, my client looks guilty, I mean, or doesn't look guilty. He looks innocent. Look at him. He looks like he's a nice person. That's not going to satisfy a jury. That's not going to satisfy a judge. You want someone who's going to be all in, who knows why you're innocent, and is willing to try to prove it. And that's what Paul is willing to do. He says, this is the message of salvation. I'm put here to 
prove it, to share it, to show it, and I'm going to do the best I can. Whether I'm a free man going where I want to go or whether I'm stuck in this prison for an undetermined amount of time, I'm going to defend the gospel. Some motives are right. Some motives are wrong for doing this, Paul says. Uh, those that are wrong, says verse 15 and 16. It says, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. Verse 16 says, the former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can add affliction to my chains. Not sincerely. These guys look good. They're saying all the right words. They're having all the rallies. They're doing everything that they need to be doing, but their motive is wrong. Their motive looks like uh, that they're, they're trying to make themselves look good, and somehow it's going to have a negative impact on Paul. And look what Paul can't do anymore uh, because he's in prison, but we're able to do. You might find it kind of odd, like I did till I, I thought about this, is why would they be doing this, or how could they do this out of envy and out of strife? But it, put yourself in the, the shoes of the person up here. You know, uh, Dr. David Jeremiah comes to town. He sets up shop. And all of a sudden... Everybody from this town is going there. He, he, he has this little church or he has this little revival meeting. Everybody wants to go there. How do you think uh, someone like me is going to feel about that? Because all the people that I wanted to reach in this town, I can't reach. And everybody that looks and sees the two options says, you know what, I would rather go Dr. David Jeremiah on this rather than here. And, I'm, and I, I, I see that. I mean, I feel like I, I struggle with the fact that you guys have this. Some of you have a Dr. David Jeremiah Bible, which I actually have, uh, but I know that some of you listen to Dr. David Jeremiah on the radio, and that to me, it's, it's not like threatening, uh, but I do it too, so keep doing it, but it is hard, because I know he's got the skill, he's got the reputation, I know he's got a way of bringing things out, and he's, he's famous, you know, and it's like, and not to, not to put myself down, but we're just different people. Nobody in this town is going to stand a prayer up to David Jeremiah. And so Paul is that kind of guy. I think he's a well-known uh, missionary that comes to town, and all of a sudden these pastors are feeling, or these leaders are feeling threatened that I can't, that I'm not that, that I can't do that sort of thing. And, and so they're like, well, we know what, we, we'll start trying to do these things, but their motives are all wrong. All of a sudden it's not about trying to reach the lost. It's about trying to get my people back. It's all of a sudden about trying to look good in people's eyes. I, I see... Uh, Jeremiah, I see Paul getting their praises and the accolades and everybody flocking to him, buying his Bible, but nobody's doing that for me, so all of a sudden I'm going to do whatever he's doing in order to get that for myself. And so that's where they have envy, and that's where they have the wrong motives, uh, because they want whatever Paul has, they want it as well. They're envious, they're jealous, they want his fame, they, his fame and some of them might even want their people back. But what does Paul say? Verse 18, he says, so, yeah, some guys are doing it for the wrong motive. I can't help that. Some people are doing it for the right motive, and that's great. I think Paul would be just as happy if all those people that he wanted to reach, if they got saved by those guys, because he says it's not about me. It's not about them. It's not about the next missionary who comes down the road. This is about Jesus. That's what it's all about. And he says the important thing is whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of that, I rejoice. You know, when you get out there and you share the gospel and you live out the gospel, it does encourage other people to do the same. Anybody here ever 
about the persecuted church or read Voice of the Martyrs or about people who die for the you know, it's, it's a scary thing to read about what those people have had to go through and what they have are in fear of all the time, about what, how their life could end just like this, or how they could lose their property, or how they could lose a loved one. And that's really hard. But when I read stories like that, something in me goes, okay, I'm in for this. You know, I'm, I'm determined that I'm going to do it too. Because they're doing it, I can do it too. You know, and hopefully when that time comes, I will have the courage that they have to stand as well. But it puts this in me that it says, I'm going to survive, I'm going to preach the gospel, I'm going to stand for Jesus no matter what it costs. You know, one of the, the things that I, I told the youth group kids before we left there, and what I tell my kids all the time, uh, is, is never give up on God. No matter, what, no matter what anybody else does for God, or whether they fail to stand up for God or not, no matter what your parents do, no matter what, um, whatever situation that you're in, is never give up on God. Always be determined that I'm going to take that stand for God just like those people did, just like Paul did, because he will help me, he will help us to be able to do that. And when you're willing to take that stand, you're going to encourage other people to do the same. Hopefully it's not a life and death situation. Hopefully it's something as simple as some of the examples that I have. Uh, Juana, on Wednesday nights, I remember getting up here multiple times doing lessons for the kids. And what did I start to do? Jennifer could tell you. I started saying, hey, anybody else want to do a lesson? And nobody really wants to do a lesson. Believe me. But I, I don't know who was first. Maybe it was Jennifer. Maybe it was Jason. But I think over time you start to recognize, well, Jennifer did it. Well, I, can, I can think I could do that too. Well, Jason Overlander did it. And, and that's kind of how I started when I was a kid. It's like my dad was the Awana commander and he's trying to get leaders to do it. Well, I saw my brother do it. And it's like, okay, fine, I'll do it too. But because you're willing to do a little bit, someone else might be encouraged to do the same. If somebody goes on a short-term mission trip and they come back excited and they say, hey, look what happened, uh, someone else might be inspired to do the same. Noah, he went to camp uh, this last week. He, like I told you, he really wanted to stay. I'm going to make him get up here next week and kind of talk about what camp was like. Not that I'm expecting anybody here to go 800 miles to go to camp, but I'm kind of hoping that it will have this impact on Caleb. He'll, he'll say how much fun that was, what did God do, and I want to do that too. But that's, that's part of why missionaries come, is they, they say this is what God did to get you on board, to say, hey, you can do this too. And there's people who become missionaries based off of missionary stories of other people. If, if you never heard anything about the foxes or anything good about them, nobody would be like, I want to go do that. But you hear God doing great things, you're like, okay, I can do that too. I want to do that as well. So if someone goes on a short-term mission trip, it could inspire and encourage other people to do the same. If, if there's a project that the church is trying to raise money for, and you notice that other people in the church are donating to this cause, you might be encouraged or inspired to do the same because we're all in this together. This is a group effort to accomplish something. What you do has the ability to impact other people. And so make sure that you use your opportunities to invest in the gospel because other people will see and they will be encouraged to try to do the same. Now this happens positively, and that's all I want to talk about. But this also can happen negatively because sometimes people get envious and they say, you know what, uh, Josh did that lesson, and look at every, or Jennifer, I'm going to say Jennifer did that lesson, and everybody said, man, Jennifer, that was so cool. Remember the, the, 
uh, pumpkin one at the Halloween night and how cool that was. And I was impressed, and the kids were, enjoyed it. And you could look and say, you know what? Look what she did, and everybody liked that. Well, then Joe Schmo comes up and says, well, she just, everybody just said good job to her. I want that too. And so I'm going to sign up and say, I'll do it too, because I want all the praise that uh, Jennifer got. That's not the right motive to do that, but people do it for that motive. Someone goes on the short-term mission trip, and everybody says, wow, good job, I'm glad you did this, and I'm so proud of you, and you're just a special kid because you went on a mission trip, or a special adult. Someone might say, you know what? Well, I'd like, to be, I'd like to be the center of attention. I'd like to put all my slides up on the show. I'd like to, to be able to talk for a long time about what God did, too, and have everybody have a potluck for me and think I'm something special. And so they say, okay, I'm going to sign up, too. And I've known people do that kind of thing, where it's pretty obvious that what their life was at home and how they were involved in ministry was like nothing. They go on this trip to China, and then they come back like a hero. You know, and like it persuades people. You know what? I want that kind of attention. False motives, true motives. It doesn't really matter. Even if you know someone blatantly saying, I'm not doing this for the right motive, it does not matter. What does Paul say? Whether from false motives or whether from true motives, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Now, recap on some of the application here. Is your situation, is your opportunity to advance the gospel? Whether you are walking down the street, it's an opportunity. Whether you're driving on vacation, it's an opportunity. Whether you're, you're sitting at the nursing home talking to somebody, it's an opportunity. You can just flat out say it. Here's the gospel. You can bumble and stumble all your way through and have the most awkward time trying to bring it up, but get the gospel out there. But you can just flat out live it. Your attitude, your response to any given situation is your opportunity to advance the gospel. Whatever situation you're in, it's going to be unique for mine. I do not uh, want to go be a rancher, sorry. I do not want to go work in the oil field. I, crunching numbers is not something that I'm particularly good at. But God said, I'm going to put you here. The only thing of those that I would, wouldn't mind would be like retiring, you know, being retired. But it's like where, whatever situation you're in is an opportunity to advance the gospel. And just remember that when you do, you can have an impact on somebody else to go out and do the same. And you may never know the impact that you're going to have. I think about the persecuted church. They have no idea that I exist, as, as, as shocking as that might sound. <laughs> it's not shocking. But they have no idea, but they're having an impact on my life. Because I'm like, okay, I'm determined that, yeah, that person across the street is difficult to talk to. It is awkward to start that conversation, but they're doing it. So, okay, I'm going to do it too. You may never know the impact that you have. But just know you're going to be impacting other people. Some people are going to take what you're doing and go gung-ho correctly, genuinely, and some people are going to go falsely. But the important thing is that whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. So I'm just going to close in prayer and just say, you know what? God, I just pray that you'd help us to recognize the opportunities that you put into our lives. Help us to have the courage and the ability to take advantage of those opportunities to make sure we advance the gospel, and that we would always live out the gospel, and that people would be encouraged by by the testimony that we have. I'm going to pray that for me. I'm going to pray that for you and, and just hope that you, you take advantage of it. Dear God, I do thank you for your word. God, I thank you for what Paul did, gave us as an example for how he was willing to go to the, almost to the ends of the earth to make sure that your gospel got out there, to make it clear. And God, I just pray that you'd help each of us that in whatever situation we're in, 
whether we're somewhere we want to be or somewhere that we don't want to be, that you'd help us to take whatever opportunities that we have to verbally just say the gospel, but make sure we're always living out the gospel by how we respond to different situations in our lives. God, I pray that people would be encouraged and inspired by our testimony and our witness as well. Just please, God, give us the courage to do this in the first place. In Jesus' name.